please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our will. Set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Our sermon series, Good Things. We've been looking at some of the good things that are true about God, true about the Christian faith. This morning, uh, the subject is the good soldier. You saw that reference in our passage. It'd be helpful to turn to some sermon notes. They're in the back of your service leaflet, and you can find uh, the... Uh, the text right alongside that. So we're going to be looking at this idea of a good soldier. Now this is a passage has a particular setting. Uh, this is a letter that was written from an uh, older pastor, the Apostle Paul, to a younger protege, Timothy. So it has a very specific focus, that of uh, encouraging this young clergyman, Timothy, towards his pastoral ministry. So we need to address that specific setting. However, not many of you are going into pastoral ministry. It's great if you were, pastoral ministry is a fantastic calling and we need more great pastors. That's probably just not true of many of us. So we're gonna take a step back and then draw, uh, draw some general principles from this passage that are appropriate to anyone in any ministry because by the way, uh, you all have a ministry, more on that later. So let's first address the specific setting, that of a encouragement to a young pastor. Let me first set the scene. Uh, this letter is written in a moment of weakness. Uh, the church is not in a good shape, not in good shape. Uh, the few things going on. Number one, the charismatic pastor and leader and church planter, the apostle Paul is in prison. He's facing his own death. That, well, this is his last letter, 2 Timothy. After this, he's has months to live. Uh, he will soon be martyred. Uh, so the founder, not the founder, but uh, one of the chief evangelists and missionaries his life is drawing to a rapid close. There's signs of confusion in the church. You may saw the, our passage concludes with this note of stop arguing about words, stop bickering. And that's, that's, off, that's a repeated theme throughout first and second, stop bickering. Like, so there's some, there's, there's some missional drift and people are beginning to major in the minors. Third, there's evidence of desertion. And this, again, through these letters, you can hear of Demas and a couple of other guys who have just flown the coop, uh, flown the coop and have deserted. Uh, so you got a lot going on. None of it's good. Uh, uh, desertion, uh, doctrinal confusion. And the chief evangelist of the church nearing his life end, if you're a if this was a stock market, this would be a sell moment. Like, no, no one's excited, right? And this is the Apostles Paul game plan. All right, there's stress inside and outside. Uh, there's desertion. Here's my game plan to ensure that the church continues on, right? And I have to say, you look at the game plan and it's a lousy game plan. Here's the game plan. Number one, the Apostle Paul identifies someone uh, named Timothy who has really nothing to, there's nothing that's outwardly encouraging about this young man. We don't know much about Timothy, but the few things that we do pick up through these, these correspondence, we only have one side of a conversation, but we pick up the fact that he's young, very young. We pick up on the fact that he is sickly. Uh, the first Timothy ends with this encouragement, drink some wine for your frequent ailments. So he's, he's often 
uh, hindered by, he says, weak constitution. He's ashamed. He's timid. Timid Timothy is how we could refer to Timothy. So in other words, if you're looking for the charismatic guy or gal to take the mantle, pass the baton, Timothy is just not your guy from any earthly standard. It's, by the way, how God seems to work. He chooses the weak things of the world to overcome the strong. And that's the case here. Timid Timothy. And timid Timothy is tasked with proclaiming a message. And that, that's the game plan. That's it. And throughout First and Second Timothy, you have this constant encouragement, this constant focus of, of the emphasis from the Apostle Paul to the young Timothy to guard the faith and proclaim the faith. And I write in your sermon notes that Timothy is to guard the faith. He's to, to proclaim God's word or proclaim the message without originality and with clarity. Actually, I left my notes. Can I borrow your... your In my notes, I say that Timothy, timid by nature, with, is tasked with communicating the gospel without originality nor with ambiguity. I want to comment on both those descriptors, without originality nor with ambiguity. Where do I get that? Well, look at your text. Uh, in the text, we see this following statement. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that's in verse Two, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach. In other words, the pulpit is not the place for originality. No, Timothy is to take what he has heard, not side conversations, not passing conversations, what he has heard proclaimed in the presence of many witnesses. That is what you two are in proclaim and entrust to others. Uh, the late Justice Anthony Scalia described the Constitution as a dead document. The purpose of this uh, is not to uh, sway your thinking on one view of the Constitution or another. The purpose of that example is to, that, he is, that sentiment as applied to the scriptures is absolutely right. In that sense, we, we don't, so a quote from Anthony Scalia, just the late justice, if you somehow adopt the philosophy that the Constitution is not static, but rather it morphs from age to age to, sever, to say whatever you, it ought to say, which is whatever you want it to say, you've eliminated the purpose of a Constitution. The purpose of this charge, say, pass on what you have heard, is the same. Our faith is static. It doesn't morph from age to age to say whatever we want it to say, right? The apostle, the apostle doesn't say, Timothy, just get up there and kind of share some blessed thoughts. Who do you think God is? Uh, what, what's God done for you? No. What you have heard, pass on. So without originality, further, without ambiguity. Note the, the warning to avoid, to quarrel about words. That's called Majoring in the minors, right? Timothy, you're to keep the main thing, the main thing. Many of you know I'm pursuing a degree from Catholic University, and I have become acquainted with some of the uh, writers from that expression of faith. Cardinal Borgoglio, better known to most as uh, Francis, said this in his initial address to his clergy. He wrote this. He said, you, clergy, in your preaching, your message has to concentrate on what is most essential, what is most beautiful, what is most grand, what is most appealing, and at the same time, what is most necessary. 
most grand, most beautiful, most essential. What he's saying is that, look, there are a lot of things in our expression of faith that cause confusion. And as a Protestant looking at the Catholic Church, you think, yeah, there's some things I don't get. But the thing is, that's true for any expression. People looking at our church think, why do you guys, candles, cloths, robes, your sermon should not be about vestments, about the minors of the faith. The sermon, uh, the, you, Timothy, you, church, are to focus on the essentials. You know, that old adage, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And you can pick up on this letter, there's some, there's some missional drift. And the church is beginning to focus on all sorts of things. And it's just a reminder for us. You know, I try to avoid politics from the pulpit. Partly out of cowardice. Uh, partly because most of you are much more informed than me. But hopefully there is a small portion of virtue that's, you don't need my commentary on political matters or, or so, you have better places for that. What you need from me, not from me, particularly from this pulpit, you need to, this pulpit needs to turn your eyes onto Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. Timothy, your job, your role, is to guard the message, to proclaim the message, to entrust the message that will then be entrusted. And it worked. The fact that you and I are here is, is evidence that this plan of picking timid Timothy, Timothy, proclaim it without creativity, Proclaim it clearly. My goodness, it worked. And what, here's what you and I should think. My goodness, there must be power in the message. Right? The, the, the success or health of the church is not personality dependent. It is proclamation dependent. That's why I say the lifeline of the church is the pulpit. I'm not referring to any particular preacher, but I'm, I'm, I am referencing this place as the place where you and I need to hear clearly, boldly, that Christ Jesus came and died for sinners. That's the message, and that's the plan. So if we were all in, going into seminary, this would be a, we could talk more about that, but you're not. You, you have your own ministry, right? And so now I want to take this, some principles we can see from first Tim, or this passage and expand it to everybody. So point number one of this second point is you have a ministry. The word ministry has uh, been unhelpfully kind of pigeonholed to pastors. So if you not have a pastoral ministry, people think, well, maybe you'll get a ministry someday. Incorrect. Note the reference from John Stott. Ministry is just a generic term meaning service. It lacks specificity until you give it an adjective. So some people have a, uh, you know, a domestic ministry. Some people have an educational ministry. Some people have a legal ministry. And you have a ministry. Maybe your ministry right now is to figure out what your ministry is. But every person who's a follower of Christ has a ministry, period. End of sentence. Let's move on to our next point. And this is where you can jump back in the passage. Because the, what this passage tells us is that ministry regardless of what your ministry is, is hard. It's hard. To exercise your ministry faithfully, 
to exercise your ministry in a way that is reflective of your faith, that serves people around you, uh, that, that to pursue your ministry with excellence and with ethicalness is hard. Timothy's ministry is hard. Your ministry is hard. Whatever your ministry is, whether you're a politician, a pilot, a pastor, a parent, whatever your ministry is, it's going to be hard to exercise that ministry faithful. And that is why you have these three images. Uh, you, Timothy, you'll need the focus of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and the diligence of a farmer. Just one quick example. I spoke with a parishioner recently. Uh, he has a ministry, not a pastoral ministry. I won't go into any details, but he was in a moment where because of his ministry, because of his service, he was being asked to do something not illegal, but something that was clearly contrary to his sense of what was right, what was wrong, because of his convictions of his faith. Company said, do this, and he said, I just can't. I just can't do that. Not immoral, but just crossing a line. What do you do? Loss of job, loss of livelihood. His decision required the discipline, the focus of a soldier. He simply went into his employer and said, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do this thing that you're asking me to do. It wasn't belligerent. It wasn't a throw your books down and walk out. No, it was a respectful conversation that could carry with it considerable risk. And we could go on. Uh, the focus of a soldier, yes. The diligence of a farmer, yes. The discipline of an athlete. The point is, whatever your ministry is, it is hard to do it. If your ministry is a student, it's, a, it's hard to be a student in a way that honors Christ. Uh, if you're a ministry of a, your ministry is a parent, it's hard work. If your ministry is in the public sector, it's hard work. And it simply requires these three things that we find here. Here. It requires diligence. It requires discipline. It requires focus. Show me someone who has had an effective ministry in any area, and I'll show you someone who has practiced these three things. Diligence, discipline, and focus. I, I don't know if you find that good news or bad news. I think we all live with the sort of the, it will get easy someday. Like, when does parenting get easy? I'm not sure. But at age... My, my children, 18 to 6, I know it, it doesn't get easy in that span. When does your work get easy? When do you get to press coast? <laughs> I just don't think any time soon for me. So it brings us to our third and final point. Your ministry's hard. Therefore, you need to be strengthened. And that's our third and final point. I see two sources of strength in this passage. Note the flow of the argument. Timothy, it's hard work. Pastoral ministry is hard. So you have to share in the suffering as a good soldier. You have to show the discipline of an athlete, the diligence of a farmer. Verse 8, now remember Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, the offspring of David. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, no pain, no gain, right? Same is true of Jesus. 
You see the quote I include from you, from Thomas, I include for you from Thomas Akempis. Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. Many who desire comfort, but few who desire comfort. We like the good things about the life of Christ, the kingdom, the blessing, etc. The pick up your cross and follow me part, hey. But this principle of no pain, no gain that you see in, that you see the apostle encouraging in Timothy is the same pattern you see in Christ. No pain, no gain. Just get used to it. Further, look at the, the, the apostle goes on to set his own example. Look at me, suffering in my chains. He's not saying, I, I've one-upped you, Timothy. You think you got a hard check me out? That's not the point. The point is, this is just how it works. <laughs> it's not my notes, a little ad-lib, but uh, sometimes my kids will come in and say, Dad, blah, 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 it's cool. And uh, we have this ad, like, I, it actually wasn't me. It wasn't one of my kids who just said, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> That's not exactly what's being communicated here. But it's like, look at the pattern of life. This is how it works. Life is hard. It requires diligence, discipline, etc. But lest you think that the message of the Christian faith is just just try harder. Just follow the example. That's not the case. Because look at our opening passage, our opening verse. It says, you then, my, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not saying follow the example. It's saying being strengthened by something that you have uh, in Christ Right, so not just an example to follow, it's this like, notion that Jesus is, through our faith in him, he's some sort of a, a well of energy that strengthens you for the day. To be strengthened by the grace is to know that you belong to Christ. You are his and he is yours. To be strengthened by grace is to know that Christ is for you, that God is for you. To be strengthened by grace is to know that your past is forgiven, your present is under his care, your future is secure. That's what it means to be strengthened by grace. How do you access this well? Here we're going to come to a conclusion. There's a strength that's available to you and me, not just an example to follow, but Jesus himself is your resource. How do you access? There must be many ways, but here's how it works for me. Every day, most days, I begin my day with a word of prayer and say something along these lines. I need strength. I need strength to be a good father. I need strength, the strength of discipline to be a good husband. I need the strength of diligence and focus to be an effective pastor. I need strength to not allow disappointment to become discouragement. I need strength to maintain my focus on what is important. Lord, I know the tasks that are in front of me are too much for me. I need strength. Sometimes that prayer is simply that. Sometimes it's a little mishmash, but it's acknowledging that the tasks ahead of me are too much for me. 
on my own. Then I turn to our prayer book and open up a psalm and read a psalm or two and try to believe that what's written there is true for me. And that's how I try to access the strength that we have in Christ. So let me summarize and then we'll come to a conclusion. Point number one, you have a ministry, period. Whatever that ministry is, it's the adjective you place in front of it, medical, legal, domestic. Point number two, your ministry is hard. In order to fulfill your ministry in a way that serves others and honors Christ, you will need the focus of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, the diligence of a farmer. Point number three, you don't have all the strength you need to do what you are called to do. You just don't. So you, like Timothy, need the strength that we have in Christ. You need his inspiring example. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But more importantly, not only an example to follow, but a resource living in you. That we can be strengthened by the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. So may that be true of us in this coming week. May we be strengthened by the grace we have in Christ. Inspired by example, his example to run the race that is set before us. Amen. Please rise.